We can see here in Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 1 through 3, the topic of unity is very important to the individual Christian as well as to the church. This is something the world talks about a lot. Unity, peace, coming together. What does God's word have to say about it? That's what we're going to be looking at today. And we'll ask the question, are you a unifying Christian? Are you a unifying Christian? How do we find unity in the church? How do we find unity in our homes, in our relationships? Okay. Oftentimes the world mistakes unity with uniformity, meaning we all have to be exactly the same in order for us to get along. Is that what the Bible teaches? Do we all have to be exactly the same? Or is there room for us to be our own person and to express our own personalities and our own culture, but at the same time find unity? What does the Bible teach? Now, before we get into the verses, we need to understand I'm not talking about unity for the world. This is not a political speech. This is preaching for Christians. For those of us who believe on Jesus Christ, this is a recipe for us to find unity in our church and in our homes. Let's read the first couple of verses. Ephesians chapter number four, verse number one. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, the apostle Paul speaking here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is in prison. That's why he's saying the prisoner of the Lord. That's what that means. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity, there's our word, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Are you a unifying Christian? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to preach on this topic of unity. The opposite of unity is for us to fight, to fight you and to fight one another. Tension. God, I pray that you would bring peace and unity to our church and to our relationships. Give us grace now and understanding as we look into your word. Father, we pray that you would help us to see very clearly if we were to die today that we would either go to heaven or hell. Perhaps there's someone listening in this room or on the recording that has never yet been saved. Help them to realize there is judgment for their sin. And Jesus Christ took their place on the cross. And I pray that you would help us as a church to apply these principles that we find in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a book entitled Boys in the Boat. And it is the thrilling true story of the 1936 University of Washington crew team, which is rowing in a boat. Now, if you remember, if any, any history buffs out there, I know some of you are, the 1936 Olympics were in Berlin. And it was the one that Hitler was trying to prove 
that he had the superior race. And that was a very important Olympics for many different reasons. But in the case of our story, when it's talking about a crew team, it's talking about those that would be in a long rowboat and they would be, that was, that's like layman's terms, right? And they would each have an oar and they would be rowing. Of course, this is one of the truest te- tests of teamwork in that they have to be in unison and one cannot overpower another. Typically, this is something that the very elite Ivy League schools would participate in, Yale, Harvard, and Princeton. No one imagined that a crew from Washington State, of all places, could be competitive. They were a team from kids raised on farms, in logging towns, and near shipyards. But they blew away their Californian rivals and bested the cream of New England to become the American Olympic team. And they won the gold medal in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. This ragtag team of Americans won Olympic gold by maintaining a sense of unity amidst diversity. Here is how the author explains how eight individuals of varying statures, physiques, and personalities capitalize on their diversity. Races are won by crews, he said, and great crews are carefully balanced blends of both physical abilities and personality types. A crew composed entirely of eight amped up, overly aggressive oarsmen will often uh, degenerate into a dysfunctional brawl in a boat or exhaust itself in the first leg of a long race. So essentially, if they're competing against each other, they're going to wear themselves out. Similarly, a boat full of quiet but strong introverts may never find the common core of fiery resolve that causes the boat to explode past its competitors when all seems lost. Good crews are good blends of personalities, someone to lead the charge, someone to hold something in reserve, someone to pick a fight, someone to make peace, someone to think things through, someone to charge ahead without thinking. Somehow all this must mesh. This is the steepest challenge. Even after the right mixture is found, each man or woman in the boat must recognize his or her place in the fabric of the crew, accept it, and accept the others as they are. It is an exquisite thing when it all comes together in just the right way. Acts chapter 2, in your Bible, please. Acts chapter 2. We find an example of this in the first church. And it doesn't use the word unity, but it is the same definition. Acts 2 and verse number 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all, meaning the church, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound of heaven as of a, as 
as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then Peter steps up, he begins to preach the word of God. And then notice, you'll notice when we go back to Ephesians chapter number four, all of these key ingredients that I'll put the slide up in just a moment are found in Acts chapter two, and they're found in Ephesians chapter number four. They're all there when it comes to the topic of unity. It says in verse number 41, that they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord. There it is once again. Beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter. In the beginning of the chapter, there were 120 people. The end of the chapter, how many got saved? 3,000. What was the result? Well, because of these key ingredients, the result was they were still in one accord. What an amazing thing that God can do if we are willing to follow his recipe for unity. Isn't it interesting that someone can be an amazing cook when they're cooking for themselves? It's the most amazing, maybe even for their family. But then you say, we're going to have 30 people. Oh. Oh, I really need your help. Uh, and God bless those people that say, hey, we're going to have a wedding. There's going to be 150 people, and I think maybe you should cook for it. Right? Here's the thing. When we talk about the topic of unity, unity means we're all pulling in the same direction. doesn't mean we're all the same. It means we all agree we're going that way. Right? Sometimes when we are in a particular stage of our life, if we're single or if we're, maybe we're still at home or maybe, or maybe when we're newly married or whatever it may be, there, it can seem as if everything is okay right now, but then if anything is added or there are new challenges, everything falls apart. They went from 120 to 3,000 and they were still in one accord in one place. They were still moving in the right direction. How did they do it? Is it possible for us to have this in our church? Is it possible for us to have this in our families? Is it possible for me to participate in this to typify my life? Is it possible for me to be a unifying Christian? Another article I read says this, every three years, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, this is a specific group of people, sponsors the Urbana Conference, a gathering that challenges university students to get involved in world evangelization. About 16,000 students from around the world attended the conference in 2009. 
After the main session each evening, students would leave the larger conference auditorium to meet in smaller groups for prayer and reflection. In one of the banquet halls, there was a small group comprised of Chinese students, another group of Taiwanese students, and another group of students from Hong Kong. Large dividers stood between the three groups. These walls were important, according to the article, because historically, these three peoples have, quote, harbored bitterness and animosity toward one another. They felt it was best to pray and worship each with their own people. But as the Chinese students were praying one night, they told their leader they wanted to invite the other countries to join them. When the Taiwanese students received the invitation, they prayed and sang a while. Then they opened up the wall divider. It wasn't too much longer before the students from Hong Kong pulled back their divider and some 80 students mingled together. Quote, in Christ, we are all one family, said one leader. And Christ breaks down political boundaries. In Christ, we have the desire to make the first steps to connect. The Taiwanese students asked the students from China and Hong Kong to lead them in worship. The next night, they invited the Korean and Japanese groups to join them. Nations which also had experienced fierce animosity. The leader told them, we are living out what we have learned this week in John. This is God with us. One girl from China said, it was a really moving time. This kind of thing would not happen in another situation. Friends, the fact is, is that we as Christians ought to be the example to the world of what unity means. How do we find this path of unity? First of all, we need to see God desires for Christians to get along. God desires Christians to get along. If we go back to our verse in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 3, endeavoring, the word endeavoring definitely not just implies, but it very clearly shows this requires intention. This requires work. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Going back in our minds to, to uh, Acts chapter number two, they were in one accord, in one place. They were all praying to the same God. The Holy Spirit in power fell upon that church at that particular instance. In that time in history, they had the, the ability to speak in tongues. And then later people got saved. And then later we can see that 3,000 were added. And that, again, they were all in one accord in one place. The unity was preserved. Why? Because they were intentional. But the intention is not we have to fight for unity. The intention was we have to yield to God and what he wants. The reason why this world does not have unity is because we all want to be the boss. 
The reason why families don't have unity is because we all want to be the boss. The reason why in our own life we cannot have unity or agreement with God is because we want to be the boss. The intention is not that of self-will. The intention is that of I am going to yield to God. I am going to yield to him. God, you are the one that is the captain of this crew team. I am rowing. I'm going to obey your word, but you are the one that's in charge. I am not going to fight for whatever direction that I want in in my life. I am going to step back and say, Lord, what do you want? This is the first step, my friends. The first step in unity the first step in sometimes we talk more about peace than we, than we talk about unity. And these, these two things go together. Peace is a result of unity. If we're all going the same direction, guess what happens? We have peace. But where do we find peace? We find peace with God. We don't find peace by fighting a fight with God and us winning the fight. We find peace with God when we decide God's the one that's in control. Uh, indulge me just for a moment as I go through my slides and go back up to some of the song lyrics that we were looking at. It says here, this is a song written by Ron Hamilton, who just a few months ago passed away and he's now in heaven. When he was in his 30s, I believe, he got cancer in one of his eyes. A very gifted songwriter, very gifted musician. This song is really talking about that experience. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He wrote over 900 songs, but this is one of his most famous. And this whole song is talking about when things happen in your life that you don't really know what's going on. How do you find the peace and how do you keep going? Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake, but it describes the process in our song, God never moves without purpose or plan when trying his servant or testing his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In darkness, he giveth a song. When he found out that he had cancer, we can see it makes sense as he wrote these words. I could not see through the shadows of head. How am I going to have peace? How can I find peace in what's going on in my life right now? I can't see. Well, you can't see through the shadows. You can't see through the situation. You can't see through what's going on. Listen, but he could see the Savior by faith. He looked to the cross of my Savior instead. Notice these these last two lines. I bow to the will of the Master. We don't have unity and peace in our life because when things come into our life, we begin to fight him. We want our way. Let me ask you, are you fighting to have your own way? Or are you endeavoring and trying to look for what does God want? Jesus was 100% human being, but he was also 100% God. His body was human, but his spirit was 100% divinity. He was God. And before he died on the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there was this struggle in his spirit. And in his human flesh, in the weakness of his flesh. And he was praying. And he prayed three times, not my will, but thy will be done. And if you follow scripture, 
Every time he went and went apart from the disciples and prayed, he was gone for an hour. That was his prayer. Not my will, but thy will be done. And he prayed that for an hour and came back and his disciples were sleeping. And he came back and he prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. And he came back and his disciples were sleeping. And he went back and prayed again, not my will, but thy will be done. And his disciples were sleeping. And when that test of the cross came, Jesus stood resolute in what the Father had called him to do. Because in prayer, he had yielded to the Father's will. And yet the disciples crumbled under the pressure of that moment. Why? Because they did not yield themselves to the Father's will in prayer. They did not come to God and say, not my will, but thy will be done. You say, will, what does that mean? Is this like a written thing? No, desire. We all want something. Well, I can have unity and peace if God would just give me what I want. Why don't we stop saying, God, give me what I want and say, God, what do you want? Many of us ride uh, TTC or perhaps the GO system. You don't get on transit and say, hey, this is where I want to go, buddy. Let's go now. Ha! Try it. That'd be funny. Make sure I have my phone out. I want to video that. No, you look, at the, you look at the little sign outside the bus and you say, no, this is the route. This is where they're going. Right? And you get on, you sit down, and you wait till you get there and you get on. So many of us in our life, we hear unity, we hear peace, we hear love, we hear all these wonderful, beautiful things that the Bible has to offer, that God has to offer us. But we don't experience it in our life. Why? Because in essence, we're going on God's bus and saying... This is where I want to go. Let's, let's do it. Hop two, snap, snap. I mean, I'm going to church. I mean, I've been baptized. I mean, look, I'm, I'm trying to read my Bible a little bit. Hey, I tapped my card is essentially what we're saying. Let's go. We have to realize God desires for Christians to get along, but we have to all agree what does God want? And then we find the direction that we are headed. We just have a couple of points here. These will not take a long, a long time. If we go back to Ephesians chapter number four, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness. Look at the humility that is required in order for us in order for us to have unity. It requires humility. It cannot be me first. We have to be willing to step aside from what we truly want and ask what does that other person want, not so that they can decide the direction, but so that we can together decide what does God want. This is how a marriage ends up being a taste of heaven on earth. Is not one, either the husband or wife, dominating the other. It is both willingly stepping back and saying, what does God want? If the husband does that, what does God want? And the wife does that, what does God want? Oh my goodness. You know what you have? You have unity. It's not one spouse pulling against the other spouse. It's all of a sudden now, it's like, wow. 
And then, like our story in Acts chapter number two, then when the kids come along and now more responsibility, listen, the responsibility comes along and now the career starts taking off and the kids start getting older, it's not, well, I want. Oftentimes, unfortunately, it's not even what the parents want. It's now it's all what little Johnny or Susie wants. Most most homes are run based, it's a hostage situation. <laughs> yeah. And the kids are the kidnappers, and the parents are the hostages. Come on now, that's absolutely true. Unfortunately, in most cases, go to the grocery store and watch the kiddo pass by the candy aisle and see what happens. Inevitably, one parent will say, no, you're not having that. Inevitably, the other parent will say, oh, just give it to him. And what the problem is, that little youngster grows up. And they get to be about marrying age, and now they want to have a, want a relationship with somebody. Oh, my goodness. And then if you have two people that have been raised that way, heaven help. It's a bloodbath. Humility. It's not about me. Listen, friend. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about him. That's what humility means. Humility means it's not about me. It's about him. And it's not about you. It's about him. With all lowliness and meekness and long suffering, we would have unity if we were patient, forbearing one another. The word forbearing means, where did I put it in my notes? To cease or to pause. What? We're about to we're we're about to get into a confrontation. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be patient. We're gonna cease. We're gonna pause. We're gonna hit the pause button. We're not gonna overreact. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna slow down and we're going to strive to keep the unity. That's what verse three says. We're gonna strive to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We cannot have the, the we cannot have the unity of the spirit without having the spirit. Do you have the spirit of God? Have you trusted Christ as your savior? We are not talking about accepting a religion. We are not talking about intellectually accepting Jesus as yes, I believe in Jesus. We're talking about having an actual spiritual decision and experience. In that moment, when you realize that you are a sinner on your way to hell, we don't like to talk about that in today's society. We don't, people use that word all the time as a swear word, but they never want to talk about the reality of hell. Hell is a real place prepared for the devil and his angels. God created hell in order to judge Satan and the evil of this world. And when we willfully sin because of our sin nature and because we choose to do so, That has to be judged. Hell was prepared to judge sin. It was not particularly created to judge sinners. God sent Jesus Christ so that we could be cleansed of our sin. And if sin has been separated from our soul in forgiveness by the blood of Jesus Christ, I like to think in my mind like those those washing powder commercials where they have the animation, right? And you've got the clothes swirling around in the, in the washing machine with all the water. And then this magical powder comes in and you see the stain that's on the shirt. And just, and it just lifts right off. You guys, you guys have all seen those commercials. We know what we're talking about here. 
We've got to understand that that's our soul. That is who we are because of our sin. And only faith in Jesus Christ alone can lift the stain from off our soul so that then we can be free to go to heaven. Otherwise, if that stain is still stuck on us, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us. And his mercy is that he died on the cross for our sin. We, this world will never have peace and will never have unity without the forgiveness of God. Because then as much as they want to talk about community and as much as they want to talk about the greater good, that's their definition of the greater good. Everybody's peaceful until somebody disagrees. We all talk about peace and love until somebody disagrees. And then what happens when you disagree with them? Well, they end up lighting something on fire. Hello. Somebody gets canceled. Hello. Is that not how the world deal, deals with disagreement? That's exactly how they deal with disagreement. Christians should respond. Christians should respond to the threat of, of our peace and the threat of our unity to we're stepping back and saying, what does God want? I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to teach me and guide me and empower me in this moment by stepping back and saying, what does God want? Unity comes when we ask this question, what does God want? We unify under a person, Jesus Christ. We don't unify under me. We don't unify under you. We must truly be born again. Are you truly born again? Do you have the spirit of Christ that lives inside of you? Notice what it says here in chapter number four and verse number four. There is one body and one spirit, and even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all, we have to agree on doctrine. We can see this in the in the in the first church there in Acts chapter number uh, Acts chapter number two. They agreed on the doctrine. What is the teaching that we're all going to agree with? We're never going to have unity if we say, "Well, everybody can just believe whatever they want." That's not agreeing on teaching. That's not agreeing on doctrine. We all have to again come to God and God's Word and say, "This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible teaches." We're going to agree on this doctrine. The next verses simply talk about how he won the victory for us. In verse number eight, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Describing his victory over Satan. We can unify because you are not the enemy and I am not the enemy. And the person in that relationship that you're talking about is not the enemy. Who's the enemy? Satan is the enemy. And guess what? Christ defeated the enemy on the cross. Praise God. He used to be the, he used to be the captor. He used to be that which took us captive spiritually. And Jesus came and he took captivity captive. And that's what the words are talking about. He went out and he took, and he just absolutely, uh, slew Satan in, 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 in a spiritual sense and got this 
and, and, and won this incredible victory over Satan. And so we can have unity because he defeated the enemy. He defeated the enemy. We can agree on that. Keys to Christian unity, victory by Christ over the enemy. Begins talking about using your gift. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but look, look at verse number 12. It says, for the perfecting of the saints or for the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity. There's our word again. Pastor, I want to have a unifying relationship with my spouse. I want to find unity in the church. Listen, stop fighting for your way. I need to stop fighting for my way. We all need to agree it's his way. It's his way. Okay, fine. It's his way. Praise God. We got that settled. It's his way. Now what? Okay. Now what we need to decide is we need to decide. I'm going to allow God to make me a stronger Christian for the perfecting of the saints, for the maturity of of the saints. Again, going to a parenting illustration here. A parent needs to be more mature than the child. Why? So that the so that the child can be trained into adulthood and into maturity and into responsibility. We cannot have a church where everyone is fighting for their own way and everyone is demanding the attention on themselves. We must say, I am willing to serve. I'm willing to help. I'm willing to contribute my gifts and my spiritual gifts for the body. It says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We must put on the new man and let's look at this last one. Verse 32. We know this. Isn't it interesting when you read verse number 32 in the context of the whole chapter? The first couple of verses are talking about unity of the spirit. Then we're talking about, I'm going to mature in my faith so that there's unity, so that we're all pulling in the same direction. If I'm pulling in the same direction as my family, and I'm pulling in the same direction as my wife, and my kids learn to pull in the same direction as the parents are going, amen, instead of each in a family of four or five or six or however long, and everybody's fighting each other and pulling and pulling and pulling, and that's when we get lying, and that's when we get... Uh, manipulation, and that's when we get people leaving home, and that's when we get threats, and that's when we get blackmail, and that's when we get uh, screaming, and that's where we get wah! But if we can all agree, Jesus Christ is Lord, we've all been saved. Amen. You say, well, pastor, that's fine and good if you're in a family where everybody's a believer. I happen to not be in a family like that. Okay. It's a good point. So then in your case, you just live selfishly and do however you want. Is that what the Bible says? No, of course not. These are instructions to a believer. If you are in a, in a family where everybody's a believer and they all agree, we're going to yield to the Lord and yield to his word. And we agree on doctrine and we agree on maturing and in grace for the sake of, of, the, of the greater good, for the sake of Christ and his church and, and so on and so forth. Or if it's just, you know what, I find myself where I'm really the only person in my family that is practicing faith. The recipe is the same. The recipe, listen, the recipe is for one. The recipe is for 120, like in Acts chapter number two. And the recipe is also for 3,000 plus. 
The recipe is the same. Pizza is pizza. The recipe for pizza is the same if it's for one or if it's for a group or if it's for a whole city. The recipe is for you. If God called you to do this, you can do it. You can be a unifying person. You can go into your relationship and say, yeah, I'm going to be humble and I'm going to yield to the Lord and I'm going to do what God is teaching me to do. And I am going to be a giver into this relationship and mature in this relationship instead of being a taker and fighter for what I want. Get yours and look out for number one. That's what the world says. Do they have peace to show for it? No, they don't have peace to show for it. We could go through every single verse. We're not going to do that. Verse 22 says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In the last verse of verse number 32, put on the new man. And the last thing is don't use hurtful speech and be a forgiver. Well, I can't. I can't be a unifying person. Because you've been saved, you have the new birth, you can. The new birth side of you can do it. You can. But Christ in you can. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Amen. We're never going to have unity if we don't forgive one another. It says in verse 32, and be ye kind. One to another. Don't you like kind people? Are you a kind person? Do people like being around you because you're kind? Oh, that's too convicting, Pastor. We don't want to talk about that. It's a good question to ask yourself. It's a good question for the Lord to be able to ask you in your spirit. Be kind one to another. Tender hearted. Mm, from the heart, be kind. <laughs> right? Don't, don't just pretend to be kind. Be kind. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Oh, they, 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 did, they did this to me and I'll never forgive them. Guess what you're not going to have in your life? Unity. Peace. Ah, oh, that person's not in my life anymore. I cut them out. Listen, the Bible says, as much as in you, dwell peaceably with all men. The Bible says, forgive them. You, you may not necessarily be able to be in the same room with them because they are such a contentious person. But it doesn't mean that you still have unforgiveness in your heart towards that person. Forgiving. Amen. Forgiving. I want to have peace, pastor. Forgiving. I want to have unity, pastor. Forgiving. Ah, forget it. I'm just going to move to the other side of Canada and I'll find some peace there. No, you won't. You know why? Because you're bringing the same heart with you. That's true. With the same memories. With the same... Hard heart, not tenderhearted. The same unkindness, not being kind to one another. You're bringing you there. Hey, why don't we come to Christ and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. He can teach us to forgive. He's the greatest forgiver that has ever been. Amen. He's forgiven us all. He sacrificed himself on the cross. Why? So that we could have unity with him and with the Father. And then he can teach us to have that same unity one with another. Ready? Bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.